Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, a podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 1991 album, Night Ride Home, and I have a very special guest with me. Special guest, will you introduce yourself? Hey, guys. It's oh. Tommy. I'm oh back. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to review Night Ride Home and to be back. Our studio audience is screaming right now. You can't hear them. You can't hear them. They're on mute. Yeah, we yeah we had to. They were getting a little too wild out there. Yes, we are joined by Tommy on this episode to talk about such a iconic album of the '90s. Am I right? Yes, and I like this album a lot, and I feel like other people would too because it's so accessible. It's very much like Joni '70s stuff. So yeah, she's coming. She's coming back full circle in this '90s period because we are back. I should say, yeah, we are starting the new decade. We are finally out of the greedy 80s that have been uh, intense and we come to a more cool start to the 90s which is yeah a lot more reminiscent of her early stuff I would say. Yeah it definitely is and I like because I feel like in the 80s her music wasn't as confessional it was more outward which I know like she says as you get older you're supposed to do that but I feel like this record has a really nice blend of being like very inward but also like examining the problems that are going on in the world and being like conscious of them yeah she kind of she's she does a lot more like personal songs on this one that she has in a while like on chalk mark there was still a lot more like politics and stuff and doggy dog is only politics and then we finally come to this and there's like a lot of a lot of reminiscing on like her childhood like yeah. so many childhood moments on this one this is like one of her most happy albums I know there's a lot of sad songs on it or like depressing songs but to me it's like a happier Joni record yeah yeah I could see that like in like some of the songs like the only songs well I don't know actually wait happy well it's happy for Joni okay for her yeah yeah okay I'll give you (laughs) I'll give you that one yeah (laughs) um I was gonna say this album we've kind of been do rough on the billboard charts the past few episodes um but this album got peaked at 41 on the u.s billboard charts so we're finally getting back up to something you know not amazing numbers but yeah i was really happy like when i saw that it peaked that high because i know at the time she was really really frustrated that people like neil young and bob dylan were having the second wave of success in the 90s and she was really frustrated that it wasn't happening for her i'm happy that she got her own top 50 album yeah but she will tell you she like every time i've seen her talk about this album she's like but I didn't write it for the public. I wrote it for me. Like she's like, this wasn't a pandering to my audience. And I'm like, okay, girl, we get it. She always has something to prove. Always, always, always. This is actually her last album that she makes on the Geffen record label. And so she's kind of, this kind of really is though, like the last trace of that period. Cause like there's still some things that like she does in her eighties albums on this one. But um, after this, we go kind of into her like independent artist moment on like turbulent indigo and taming the tiger and all the other weirdness that is upcoming <laughs> i agree i feel like this really closes out a chapter in her career because yeah turbulent indigo is kind of different and i feel like that album gets so much more praise than this one so yeah well that one got like grammys like that one got like two grammys and i feel like this one i mean i don't know if it's just as good but i feel like it's just as like to me it's just as good i like it i think i think it's good i always think of this album as like Hygiera part two like her right. like second period Hygiera except it's like this time she's not traveling alone she's traveling with like she finally has like a partner like she has Larry with her um 
for a moment. I mean, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna split in a little bit. Years. Yeah, wait, when do they split? Is it like 94? I think it's right around the time she makes Turbulent Indigo, yeah. Because I know she has this bunch of songs about divorce on the album, right? Or like hinting at divorce. Yeah, no, Last Chance Lost is like all divorce. And then Taming the Tiger, obviously. She with her cat at that point. I'm a runaway from the record. It's from the hoods in the hood. I'm, She's yeah. in her Shane Dawson era. You know that that's like one of my favorite songs. You know I love Taming the Tiger. Um, <laughs> It's a great moment. Um, I was also going to say that Joni's voice on this album starts we were talking about this earlier but like it starts this like 90s voice that Joni has that is so it's like crisp and it has like a really good aged quality to it that is just so enjoyable to listen to I don't know I really like it so do I the years of smoking really caught up with her here but I think she sounds really cool I like her voice I mean I think it takes some time to adjust to if you've like only heard Joni 70s stuff yeah but I think, like you said earlier, it's it's kind of better than her 80s vocals, in my opinion. Well, I think in the 80s, she's still trying to do, like, some of the stuff she was doing in the 70s. Like, she's still trying to do, like, high notes, but, like, they don't work. And I think now she, like, knows she can't do them. And so she's like, okay, I'm just not going to do them at all. Because there's, like, yeah, there's, like, no song on here where she really uses, like, a soprano-type voice. She's not doing what's it called, Rainy Nighthouse anymore. Well, or what about when she, no, I'm thinking like really high, like when she did like dry cleaner from Des Moines. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I've been recently on the past few episodes, just because Joni's been in her politics era, I've been doing some little brief cliff notes of the politics going on at this time. Um, are you good if I do a quick little political rundown of the ni- early 90s? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Um. So here are some things going on as Joni is writing or, you know, releasing this album. We have the Berlin Wall coming down. We have uh, Reagan's presidency is ending. Thank the Lord. The gays were so happy. Um, Bush comes into office. This album is a product of the Bush administration. Well, yeah, it kind of was in a way. Um, the Soviet Union falls, uh, the Bush administration and like it's Europe and Middle Eastern allies launched an offensive against Saddam Hussein um, in Iraq. Um, Joni says, if this is a holy war, God is pissed at us and damn right. You know, I like that she says that because there's so many biblical references on this album. And I love you, Joni, but I don't understand a single thing about them. I'll come back to it when I read the Bible, though, if that ever happens. You know, I did do a rereading of the Bible. Not all the way, but, like, I did, like, a first, like, few chapters. Really? Yeah. Was it good? I feel like that's, like, kind of painful. Well, I don't know. I like Genesis a lot. I thought Genesis was interesting. Genesis is cute. Adam and Eve. Like, there's some good storytelling there. You know what I mean? There really is. Yeah. Um, oh, also this album has a ton of music videos. Have you seen a lot of the music videos for this album? I've seen I've seen some of them. Night Ride Home, that music video is probably my favorite Joni music video. I don't know if that's controversial. I love the fireworks everywhere. It's poorly edited, but it's very cute. And that's what I like about it. I'm there really, to- I have to be honest, there really isn't like one music video that Joni does that's like great. Like she never really got that market. Passion play where we're seeing her nostrils for about a minute and 20 seconds and all. I'm like, girl, 
Okay, deviated septum moment. Yeah, no, that video is rough. Have you seen the Two Grey Rooms one where she's like doing clown makeup? Like on once, like she does like clown makeup in it? No, I haven't seen that. I have to watch that now. You're gonna get a little scared, I have to be honest. Like, I don't know. I don't know where she is, where, who's producing all these videos. I'm guessing it's just her and Larry. I'm guessing that they're making all of them, but She needs to call real director in. If she didn't. Yeah. Um, I know I liked the My Secret Place video. Actually, I'll cut back yeah. to the video. The chalk mark rain, I mean, the chalk mark and a rainstorm music videos weren't that bad besides the beat of Black Wings. I was going to say. Well, actually, no. Have you seen Dancing Clown? Dancing Clown where she's just dancing with her cat. I think that's cute. No, I she's think- like hurting that cat. She's stretching him beyond belief. That cat's flexible. I'm telling you, like, the 90 is Joni. She's in her Shane Dawson era. I don't know what was going on with her and Cats, but she needed to stay away from them. Maybe she was influenced by Cats the Musical because it came out around the similar time. Oh my God, you're right. Possible. Um, Larry Klein is still a huge part of this album. Um, he's really been inching closer and closer towards producer credit. And this album, we really see him like, he's like, I am producer, hear me roar. Like, he literally writes... Is it two of the songs or one of the songs? I know he writes Nothing Can Be Done, but there's another one I feel like he does as well. I think I only thought it was Nothing Can Be Done. Well, either way, he needs to get his hands off Joni's music. I mean, like... He does. Doesn't he do the backing vocals? We'll get to it when we get to Nothing Can Be Done. I feel like, does he do the backing vocals? No, no, it's someone else. But I wouldn't, wouldn't it be like, it wouldn't be surprising if it was him. He's in the album cover. Like, I always see the silhouette of his mustache and I get a little scared, honestly. That's such a good segue because I was going to say, should we talk about the album artwork? Yes. Okay. I love the picture. Like, I love the picture. I'm just a little scared of the silhouette of Larry Klein in it. Is it, is it like freaking you out a little bit? It is. And I never noticed it until a few days ago. I thought it was her just looking like, you know, when you're driving and you have the rear view mirror, like the one that's like right on top. I, I always thought it was like a picture of her looking through that. And then I realized it's like a picture of the driver's side window and like her reflection in it. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Cause it looks like it has like the window curve to it. Yeah. yeah. Her eyes are a little scary. And you know how like people with blue eyes, like you're like, it's like intense and you're like, oh my God, please. The Miley Cyrus picture. Yeah. Like it's a little intense, but. it's fine I don't know I think that this artwork though fits the vibe of the music really well yeah definitely and I love her cheekbones in this like I love I'm sorry I love Joni's cheekbones like I don't know how she does that I try and imitate it when I'm looking in the mirror I don't do her justice but she mothered I feel like I'm doing her justice right now you really are you have high enough cheekbones to do her I don't yeah well I I am Joni Mitchell reincarnate just letting everyone know um I'm just kidding um I was gonna say though I like the way that like the photographs are like morphed into each other and there's like a like collage moment um I should say that these photos were all taken by Joni and Larry when they went and visited her like hometown in Canada they were doing like little photo shoots everywhere um so kind of reminds me of like the photos again are very similar of like Hygiera where they're these like like scenic like outdoorsy type moments you know what I mean yeah I definitely see that. They have like a chill vibe to them. I also get blue vibes from the cover a little bit. I just think it's her face on the cheekbones where I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. Blue Blue except she's a little bit older. Just Just a little bit. Just a smidge. How much older is she here? Like 20 years older? 
Yeah, because was this not this is ninety one, right? Near ninety two. So like, yeah, pretty much yeah. like twenty years exactly. That's crazy. Pop off, grandma. Pop off, milf. Oh, ew! What? No, she's gilf. <laughs> not at this point. She's only like fifty here. I think her daughter had already had a child at this point. Oh, that's true. Oh, we won't get into her and her daughter's relationship. I don't even want to. Yeah, that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Um, which okay, I know we said we're not going to get into it, but random side note: Are they like good now, or are they like not good? I heard in the okay, so I read an article that was published probably in like two thousand seven. And I know her and her daughter had problems in like the very late 90s and the early 2000s, but apparently in, as of 2007, they were good. But I haven't heard about her daughter since 2007, so. See, now I thought that when I read David Yaff's book that came out, when did that come out? Like the late, to the early 2010s or something? Yeah, oh, I forgot she's mentioned. And, that, book, and so. that book, I feel like I thought he said that Joni's daughter was like a little like. Crazy. I didn't say that, you said that, but you know. Yeah, I, I remember reading that too in the book. That Yeah, that she was a little unstable. Which, you know... I mean, I'm sure that, that that there's probably a lot of, like, complications with, like, you know, being adopted and then, like, being reunited. There's, like, all these, like, feelings, but... Anyways. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that's a side note, but, uh, yeah, okay. So, um, do you want to get into the songs of this album? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I love the introduction track. Like I love Night Ride Home so much. I love the cricket in the background. And I'm I am very confused about this. Do you know like how she's always like some cricket just got into the studio and we couldn't find him for days and that's why he's on the song? It doesn't sound like the cricket is just like like it feels like she put him in there intentionally. Do you know what Wait, I mean? Wait, is that a story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on her website. I was like reading it because I remember I watched a video at some point and someone was like, Joni's weird because like she says it was intentional at first and people were like annoyed by the cricket noise. So she was like, she made up some story saying that the cricket was like just in the studio for days and she couldn't find it. She is such a lot. She really is. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I love that. She's like, you know what? I'm going to make up a story. There were crickets in the studio. <laughs> yeah. If they're a little jarring. I have to be honest. Like they kind of take out, they take out some vibe like they're kind of a vibe killer but it's okay I don't mind them I think it's cute yeah um I should say this song was originally not called Night Ride Home it was called Fourth of July and then in parentheses Night Ride Home and it was sung during her um chalk mark promo in the 80s so this song has been been around her kind of music for a little bit now and yeah. so she's finally kind of using it um I think that this song perfectly you can tell that her sound is going back to those like more acoustic and stripped back moments. Because if you think about like on like the eighties albums, when you open with like my secret place, it opens like right away with like a synth and it's like, dun, 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 my secret. And here we just have like a guitar and some like little background choral synth, but they're not like intense. And I just like, I don't know, it's a lot more soft, which I really like. Yeah. I like how she returns to like her roots here and, Okay, there's a Joni Mitchell magazine that came out for the 50th anniversary of Blue, and I don't know if anyone knows why it's blood, but she's obsessed with Joni Mitchell, and I remember she said that Night Ride Home is, like, the only other time she wrote a song so endearing like this, like, a love song was My Old Man, 
And I think it's so interesting because now I can't separate those two songs because I feel like they're so similar to me now. Wait, my, my my old man and Night Ride Home. Yeah, like not like not like the melodies or anything, but I it's just feel like the sentiment. Yeah. Well, yeah, this song is super like romantic and like there's such a like a happy, loving quality to it because um it was written like about this trip in Hawaii that she and Larry went on and they were like riding home from something and there was these like fireworks and she was like it was just so scenic and beautiful that I wrote a song about it and I just love that like it's so like wholesome. She loves Hawaii. Didn't she write Big Yellow Taxi when she was in Hawaii too? She did. She did. And she, I don't know, like, and like, I love the line. She's like, I love the man beside me. We love the open road. Like, you can just tell that they're just like in such a peaceful, happy place. Well, for now. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean when I feel like this is such like a happier Joni album because the 80s were just not happy Joni. She was very bitter, which, you know, I'm not going to fault her for that. I think it's a little understandable, especially because of how her peers were treated or like constantly put on a pedestal and she wasn't. So I understand that, but I can't help but smile when I listen to this song. Cause it's like, oh, she's happy here. It kind of becomes bitter on Turbulent Indigo, but it's in like a way where like, it's kind of badass where she it just is. starts like ripping into everybody. And I kind of love that. Like, you know, like when she's like ripping into all like the new singer songwriter girls and like, have you ever read what she said about like Kurt Cobain? I haven't read that. I know what she said about Alanis Morissette, though. Oh, wait, what did she say about Alanis Morissette? She was, like, basically calling her songwriting awful and how it was, like, mall pop and stuff, and she just went off. Well? She kind of spilled. I'm sorry. No, she said about Kurt Cobain, okay, these are not the exact quotes, but she said something to the effect of, like, you know what, you're gonna have to look it up, because I'm gonna say it wrong, and then I'm gonna get, like, a lawsuit or something, but she was not very, uh, very complimentary towards him (laughs) you know and I can see why I feel like they have such different approaches to songwriting I feel like I feel like hers is so much more descriptive and you know like intimate and I feel like his isn't so I can see why she doesn't like it she also tears into like Eminem around this era too well like a few years later yeah and like the late 90s when he first comes out in Britain as if Eminem cares what Joni Mitchell has to say about him (laughs) right (laughs) she's such a hater but I love hater Joni yeah um But on this song, she's not a hater. She sounds really pretty and her voice sounds really good. And it's just like, it's a really good opener. Like this opens in like a really like peaceful and harmonic way. Whereas like the last few albums, the openers have been like a little intense. Well, specifically Good Friends on like Dog Eat Dog, which is like, you know. Oh, that's really intense. But that's one of the best pop songs of all time. Well, well, yes. (laughs) well yes well yes yeah I just I love that song so much like but I can dance to that song like exactly they don't play that in the clubs the way they should they should she Madonna's crown slipped a little she yeah well actually I think that might have been like before Madonna yeah I think it was a little before Madonna so you know Madonna was definitely taking taking notes from her on doggy dog I have to say um but yeah I like this song a lot she uses a Fairlight synthesizer in this album doesn't she like for one of of the first times I feel like I read that I feel like she does it on this song too but I can't remember exactly like what the Fairlight synthesizer does that's possible I don't know much about synthesizers to be honest um as anyone who have heard my 80s talkings knows my synthesizer knowledge is as much as I know that they exist that's my knowledge about it too (laughs) 
like, I'm like about it. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, yeah, there's like synths on here, but what do I know about them? I, I don't, I don't know. I can not tell you a single thing. Um, I will also say the other lyric that I really like in this song is I really like them, like it. She says, like some surrealist invented this Fourth of July night ride home. Like that's a really cool. I like that phrasing of like an art quality. I love anything art related. So like using surrealism as like a line. I don't know. I thought uh, that was cute. I love how she uses it to say like, it's almost as if a painter came and painted this night. Like it's perfect. Yeah. 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 No, I I, I like it a lot. Definitely a very wholesome and good song. Um, A nice, easy way to open this album when we go. And then like some of the more other songs you're like, wow, it's a little intense, but no, this is a good song. Um, Do you want to go to passion play next? Yes, and this is a song I love, but it's very confusing. I think we both think it's really confusing, right? It's so weird. It's one of my favorite Joni songs, but I don't know what the fuck she's talking about at all. And if you research this online, nobody knows what the fuck she's talking about. I did watch, okay, there was this YouTuber years ago, and sure, like she was great at describing Joni Mitchell songs. And I remember she was the one that said Passion Play was like, her kind of describing this eggs on oil spill that happened in the 90s in the like in the middle of the ocean to the crucifixion of Jesus I don't know about the story like I don't know the story that well I don't know I think she mentioned Judas in this song or something right I don't know but no it's not this one right oops no Judas isn't I don't think Judas is mentioned in this song um she mentions Mary Magdalene in this song yes oh my god the Magdalene laundries it foreshadows that yeah, she was she was getting into her Magdalene era. It was coming. Twig stole her vibe. Yes. I, no, I, okay. Here's, like, I feel like people are probably like, well, if you don't know what this song means, then why do you love this song so much? Here's my answer for that. I love the music on this song so much. Like, the chord progressions are so, like, haunting. Like, yes. something about when she's, like, it's like the chord between when she goes like Magdalene is trembling, like the washing on the line. And then the next chord was like trembling and gleaming. Like, I love that. Like something yeah. about it, like scratches a part of my brain that I really enjoy. This, yeah, the strings on the song, I literally wrote the strings are poignant. Like they make me feel something. They make me feel this deep melancholy and I, I can't describe it in any other way. And the when she's like, how she sings, um who are you gonna get to do the dirty work when all the slaves are free just the way she says it it's so silky but also like so haunting and sassy at the same time i and like I the way i really like the way she sings like when she goes into the parts where it's like oh climb down climb down he says yeah. to me like she's like kind of like, gets like a little like angry which i love when she says squandered yeah i just said okay here's how i describe the song i said like it's a mix of like the story of the passion of christ blended with socially relevant themes of being a slave to an unjust society. There's some talk about like climate issues, social decline, like, I don't know, like, 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 yeah, like the Exxon oil spill is definitely a part of it. Um, I think that like something about like the, um, the, what is it? Like the buzzing of the flies and like the marketplace, like that definitely has something to do with like, there's some social or like cultural, like deterioration going on. Yeah, I never knew what she meant when she was like, when all the slaves are free. I just, I always took it as like, she's talking about people that work for big corporations or something that like get nothing out of it. Yeah, I think she, I think she just sees like, I think she sees like the general public as like slaves to like an unjust government or an unjust group of people that are committing atrocities that they, that like the people themselves have no control over. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Also, I wanted to bring up, I know like Joni's later work especially gets overlooked so, so much. And for me, you compare this to a song, like you think about her earlier songs about like climate change, even though climate change wasn't necessarily a thing before this, but like you compare this to Big Yellow Taxi. And I feel like this is such like a more fleshed out, like kind of mature version about like climate change or just like, you know, mankind being so harmless with nature. I mean, careless with nature. Yeah, it's like, she's like, she now like I feel like Big Yellow Taxi it's like she's aware of it's going on but like she's able to look at it in a positive way like kind of like this like relaxed position of like you know they paved paradise and they put up a parking lot like oh that's kind of sad but then on this one or like some of the other songs like around this time she's just a lot more like factual and like like you said like fleshed out like she's just like here's what's going on it's not getting any better if anything, we're just getting worse and worse. Um, and like, that's where you talk about like the Exxon blue and then radiation rose, like. Yes. I think it's so cute how she says like, enter the multitudes and like, okay, girl. And then how she changes like misery, apathy, whenever oh, she, yeah. when it, like the new chorus every time or like those those last few lines. I, I love how she does that. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I don't know. Something about this song is just like, I just really enjoy it. I don't know why, like. It just speaks to us. It speaks to the gays. Is that it? Is it the gays that are being spoken to here? Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I just never realized that this is a song for the girls and gays. I I can't really pop my pussy to this song, but I'm sure. I can. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I was going to say, also, what about when she says, um, I was like the the marketplace line. She's like the buzzing of the flies, the buzzing, the buzzing and the stinging, divinely barren and wickedly wise. The killer nails are ringing. Interesting. I have no idea what that means. I just like the line. I don't know. I thought I like the like wording of it. I her wording on this song is so pretty. She goes back into that like very like wordy because in the eighties her phrasings are a lot shorter and like a lot less like metaphory. Whereas here, there's kind of like some more wordplay going on, some more adjectives being thrown in. That's why I always consider this album to be like a return to form for Joni, because I like I do like her 80s albums a lot, but I think she has to sacrifice her lyrics for like more poppy melodies on a lot of them. So like when you listen to her 80s stuff, like when you're going to her discography and then you get to this, you're like, ooh, like this is really Joni going back to her special place yeah because it's not like during the 80s she couldn't write like this like she could it's just like the music was more a focus than the lyrics yeah which is understandable but because i'm sure Joni could probably write like this now well oh, well not with brandy in the room with her yeah okay take brandy out Joni could probably write something similar to this now oh okay yeah i feel like she could wasn't she like working on an original album? Didn't she say she was going to work on one? Yeah, she said that she's working on new music, which I'm happy for, but I'm also scared because I don't want Brandy to be creatively involved in her music. I think we just need Joni, Joni by herself. Yeah, I think of the archive projects as like Joni by herself. Yeah, that's like true. There's no Brandy influence in those. We're very happy about that too. We're such haters. Oh my God. Like, and it's, but you know what? If you read the Pitchfork article of the Newport album, they said the same thing. They were like, Brandy Carlisle takes up way too much space. Yeah. I mean, Joni's just so important. We don't need a sidekick. We just need Joni. Yeah. But yeah, I, 
Yeah, I don't want to be a hater. I, I won't hate anymore. We won't hate. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna stop hating on Brandy. Well, I didn't say we we're gonna stop. I just said I'm gonna. We're gonna do it in private. Yeah, that's a private thing. Um. Yes. Okay. Um. I don't think I really have anything else to say about Passion Play, though. It's just it's so confusing that like you can't really like decipher anything. Yeah, but the next song is very upfront and like so dark. This is such a dark song. We have Cherokee Louise, and this is just like shit. This song is depressing as fuck. It's so sad. It really is. I I remember reading, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I, I read on Wikipedia, very reliable, of course, that this is about a, a childhood friend of Joni's. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. It's so, a real story. Yeah, that's so sad. And she would she was always like, My life is so bad right now. And then she would think, Oh no, Louise had it way worse than me. Well, her real <laughs> name was Mary. The girl's name was Mary. And like she was like she was indigenous and was like adopted into this like white family in um is it Saskatoon? Is that where Joni grew up? Saskatoon, I think. Yeah, Saskatoon. And, um, and she was being and this girl was being like sexually abused by her dad. She was being like racially excluded by everyone else in Saskatoon. Because Joni has said that Saskatoon, she said that Saskatoon was just as racist as the Deep South. Oh, and she's probably not wrong about that, especially knowing about like the history of Canada. <laughs> yeah, and she was like. She was like, Saskatoon is just as racist as the Deep South. And like, they were treating her horribly. And no one knows what happened to her though. And that's the really scary part is that like, this girl, there's like no- Records like, of happening. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, oh my God, I should say, I know that like, it'll be like, like obviously like, it'll eventually come up again. But like, I love the travelogue version of this song so much. I, I think the travelogue version, this version is amazing. It's a 10 out of 10. I think the travelogue version is just slightly better because it's even more heartbreaking when she has that full orchestra behind her. Oh, yeah. Everything. Yeah. No, it's like, it's so good. So this is like the first song of, on the album that's like a childhood kind of reflection because like on the second half, there's like multiple childhood kind of like going back in her youth days, but this is like the first one of it. And it's just like, it's just so like gut wrenching. Like the line, the line that always gets me is, is um she runs home to her foster dad. He opens up his zipper and he yanks her to her knees. Like that's like literally like. Oh, it's, it's so sad to, to even hear that that happens to a poor young girl. Because yeah. how old were they at the time? They were in like middle school, right? Thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. And also. So just talking about the songwriting in this, it's all so sad, but there's also so much imagery in it. It's like, she really just takes you to exactly where she was. Like, you can press your hands, like, bubble bath and dust piled high as me. I think that's such an, like, you can just picture yourself being there. And, like, they're just children exploring. And then this, like, poor, innocent girl is going home and she's, like, being robbed of her innocence. She's being robbed of her childhood. Yeah, like, she's, like, basically, like, they're they're having this, like, such a, like, they're, like frolicking in their youth and like in like this place underneath the Broadway bridge is like kind of a solace for them but then suddenly like she starts not showing up anymore and it's like all these bad things are starting to go on like Joni talks about like she can't even like this girl can't even come to her house like the police are on her tail like she's being sexually abused like oh it's it's so sad it's really so sad Talk about lyrics that are heartbreaking when she sings like ever since we th- we turned 13 it's like a minefield walking to the door going out you get the third degree and coming in you get the third world war that sounds like such an awful situation to go home to seriously like but it's so well done this is a song where it's like 
she doesn't sound like she's just like kind of like you know how sometimes Joni like when she talks about topics like this she kind of sounds like tone deaf sometimes but yes. this song is not tone deaf at all like it is such a great portrait of such a horrible thing going on and I should say the music of this song is really good too like the melody of it is I was really gonna say the melody is one of my favorite parts of this entire song yeah yeah and I love I, I like the travelogue version a lot and then I also like during the 90s she did this song a lot on an acoustic guitar and it sounds like really kind of like haunting on that as well because it's a lot more stripped back but yeah oh this is such a good song and Wayne Shorter is on this song he does some really good sax on it which I really we like yeah we've been we you've been missing some of the Wayne Shorter cuts that we've been going through it's been some intense moments like I don't know if you've listened to Bird That Whistles in a while no I haven't listened to that in a while but oh, now I'm gonna go back and listen to it after this his his sax on that song is like crazy good it's like my favorite Everything Wayne Shorter does is just amazing with Joni's music. He's one of those yeah. people, whenever I see him like in the album notes or like the personnel, I'm just like, thank God he's here. Like right. Larry Klein's here and he cancels Larry Klein out. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, it's forgiven, you know? Do you think that Joni thinks that Larry Klein is just as good as Jocko? That's what I'm always confused about. You know what gets me annoyed is that she went from someone like Jocko to someone like Larry Klein. And I feel like Larry Klein don't know how to play bass that well. Like, I feel like he's, he's decent at it. Like, Those are like, fighting words. You're, like, you're throwing fighting words out there. I'm sorry. I just don't think he, he's just not that interesting of a player to me. Yeah. I, I think Joni Loki thinks that too. <laughs> I mean, I think that she like fell in love with him. And so it's only natural that she was going to include him on a lot of her music, but yeah. You know, this is what I hate about, about like when musical artists like marry someone like the same the same thing happened with Tori Amos now her entire like albums are filled with her husband's shitty guitar playing like mm -hmm. no one wants to hear it take him off the album find someone better and there are a lot of people that would have worked with Joni like if Joni asked anyone to play bass on her album I think they would have done it for her because she's a legend like who would pass that up yeah and I think that I think Joni's only problem is that she has a hard time finding people that will play like jazz bass true. and like most like there's a lot of rock musicians that can play bass but with like rock sounds but adding like that jazz element I think throws people like or turns them away from wanting to play with her I don't know that's a assumption I'm sure she's was able to get anyone but either way yeah no Cherokee Louise a good song <laughs> we love Cherokee Louise we really do um the next song the windfall <laughs> the windfall everything for nothing this is a song that is a little tone deaf. We talked about Joni's being a little tone deaf earlier. Yeah. yeah. Are we going to get into what the song is about? Well, of course we have to. Yeah. So what happened around this time? Joni had a maid that lived in her, what her, was it Beverly Hills, that home or Bel Air or something. And I guess the maid was like, telling her that she wanted to take a vacation somewhere and instead she went home to Guatemala or something or is it flipped I don't I don't I, I think that I think it's the first the latter yeah so she she found out her maid was like lying to her or something and she called her deceitful so she went and she kicked her in the shin and the maid the maid sued her over it and Joni wrote a whole song about it when I first heard this song I could not picture that I was her kicking a maid in the shin I think it's, I think it's funny. I'm sorry for laughing at it. I just think it's funny that someone of Joni's stature would write a song this petty. I don't think it's a good look for her at this time. But. No, 
Well, the maid tried to sue her for $5 million. Which was excessive. That was excessive. She didn't need $5 million to be kicked in the shit. And she needed like an ice pack or something. But no, they settled out of court and Joni paid her 250K. She's she's so dramatic in the song. What was the lyric I wrote down? I'm not gonna be the jackpot at the end of your perjured rainbow. <laughs> she was like, fuck you. Stop stealing my fucking money. She's like, she's like roasting the American courts in this song too, and everything, like the whole judicial system. She was yes. putting her foot on everyone's neck. Yeah, no, but I love, I always love the beginning of this song where it's like there's just like this beat, and she's just like, You think I should buy you a car? Why? Because Elvis did? Oh, come on. <laughs> that like, little sticker she does. It's like so, she is so bitter. Like, this is like the doggy dog bitterness coming back. Like, she's just so like petty about this whole case. It is crazy that she wrote a song about this and put it on an album. Like, that really took a lot of, uh, a lot of nerve. It did. But honestly, you know, whenever, whenever I tell someone about the song, I can't help but laugh. No, it's like, yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of like ridiculous. Yeah. I, I do really like this song, though, despite it being very tone deaf. I like the music behind it. I don't think it's by any means the best song on this album, but I just can't help but, you know. Well, that guitar riff that she does in this song that's like, dun, 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 like that, like playing, she does that with, um. there's a video of her in the 80s doing Lakota Acoustic Live, yeah. and she plays this riff for a Lakota and so it's like she like kind of took that and like put it for this she recycled old material to drag her maid good for her well she says like you want too much you want too badly you want everything for nothing like damn like like she just like I, I I we have to get more knowledge of what actually happened like we need like we need like a dateline documentary on this or something have you have you seen like when she goes around like there's there's talk show interviews of her talking about the situation there's like articles on her website it's like everywhere of her like never seen a talk show interview about this i'm gonna have to look yes yes you have to look for it there's like so many videos like right before this came out and she's like going around to all these like interviews and she's like my maid tried to sue me for five million dollars because i kicked her in the shin blah 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 blah. she's not getting anything out of me hate her (laughs) Well, I was like, I think that Joni is, okay, cool. Because I was confused when I first started listening to the song, like, why is it called The Windfall? But, like, I guess what she's saying is that, like, the maid, Joni feels, not me, I'm not saying I feel this way, but Joni feels like the maid is trying to be, like, a gust of wind to knock over Joni's castle, basically. Like, she's trying to be, like, a single gust to knock over everything Joni's built. And, like, that's how Joni feels. But, like, Joni, like, you kicked her in the shin. What did you expect? Right. I feel, I, I feel, I empathize with the maid. I feel bad for her. But we need to know how hard was the hit? Was it like a tap? Are we thinking it was like a, like, Tanya Harding, like. We also have to know, was Joni wearing shoes at the time or not? Because if she was in those like little loafers or whatever that she's always wearing, those ugly shoes, and she, I would feel bad because it, she has a metal toe in those. I'm just sure she does. Knowing yeah. Joni. Yeah, yeah, that's those shoes would definitely cause a broken ankle. What if she like can you imagine though if it had been like something even more intense if Joni had like gotten like a lead pipe or something and like hit her knee with it or something, like something crazy? That would I make it interesting. Doing that. That's the sad thing. Yeah, like I wouldn't be that surprised. Like Joni is a Scorpio like me, and when Scorpios get bitter and feel ripped off, 
we become very angry and very aggressive. And I could see myself kicking someone in the shin. You know, I feel like rock musicians have made songs about way worse. So I can't be too mad at her for it, you know? No, yeah, like she doesn't deserve to get canceled over this, but like, it's just like petty. It is petty, but I will laugh at it. Okay, don't cancel me for that. And I like the melody. Like, I think it's like a good song. So do I. And I love the beginning just when she's like, you know, you already covered it, but that's one of my favorite parts. Well, I really like her background singing on this song where she's like, where she's like, you want, you want, you want. Like you hear her like in the back, like she does these like little like self-harmonizations, which I love. I don't know. Like, I think it's a good song. And I think that if you don't like this song, you are choosing the maid side over Joni's. Right. And we don't like that. Well, <laughs> we again, we need when Joni gets that movie made about her that Cameron Crowe is doing. Let's hope that this part gets included. I hope it does. I hope it just doesn't touch on her 70s stuff. I hope it's like her entire career. I have a feeling if they do her 70s stuff that there's a certain time period that I need them to skip over, like a good year. It's. I hope it's not all just blue. Or are you talking about Don Juan's? I'm talking about Don Juan. Yeah. Like, let's just like pivot, pivot, pivot. And then like, I know there's like other hints of it periodically, but like, let's not let's just let's not acknowledge it yeah i've i've had to acknowledge it too much at this point where i like can't oh my god it's yeah Ugh, joni why do you do these things um but yes windfall not my least favorite song on this album i have to say no definitely not this is a bop <laughs> yeah okay um do you want to go into the next the kind of next religious dark track of the album slouching towards bethlehem um, I, this is another song I love on this album. Yes. You know, it was taken from uh, W.B. Eats' poem, The Second Coming. She alters a lot. Of, she alters the lines enough to where it's her own, I feel like, because yeah. I've read the poem before and <clears throat> some of it stays the same, but a lot of it she changes. And um, I thought it was so cool because she named it Slouching Towards Bethlehem. I know there is a line in the poem where he says that, but it's also a book by Joan Didion. And I remember she was in the studio with someone. I think it was when she was working with um Peter Gabriel for Chalkmark. He had a collection of like Joan Didion's essays called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Side note, I love that book and I highly recommend it. Okay. And that's why she decided to name it that. So well, since you're such a literary person, I will need you to explain what is the like significance of this poem, The Second Coming? Like what is it like? Where does it culturally like stand? Like, like because it seems important. I well, I believe in the twentieth century. I, that I believe that's when W. B. Yeats was alive. I don't know if it, was, if it was the nineteenth or twentieth century, but I know he felt like there were a lot of problems going on in the world, and that like mankind or humankind in general was just like decreasing in terms of morality and everything. So he had this premonition that like there's always in the Bible the second coming, or I think it's like mentioned in it. And his idea of the second coming was that there was going to be like a large beast that comes to end the world, and um. I guess, I guess like in the nineties and stuff, or just like how she called the eighties, the greedy eighties or whatever, she felt the same way about society. So I think that's why, I think that explains a lot of it. She just yeah. felt like, she well, just I felt like the world was at a low point. I love when she takes like other people's work and like fidgets it into like something else. Like she's really good at that. Like taking like one thing and like kind of morphing it to fit her own aesthetic. Like like, it's, like, the way she takes, like, centerpiece 
and puts it into Harry's house, but it like blends so perfectly. Like I love when yeah. she does that or like, or like on um, Chalkmark, the way she reworks Karina Karina into a bird that whistles, I really like. So like, I think it's really good. I have to say, have you ever seen her performance of this um, in 98 when she's at like the Woodstock back to the garden thing? No, I've never seen her perform the song live, unfortunately, even okay. though it's my favorites. See, like when she does this live at Woodstock 98, when the part of the song where it's like head of a man, that part, you know, like, like, and she's like shape of a yes. lion. She fucking belts it. She's like head of a man. And she like holds it like, like she's like, man. And then she like, sometimes though she like, flips the words and she's like face of a lion instead of shape of a lion she's like head of a man face of a lion like she really belts it out like you have to watch it it's so good she's always doing that with her live performances she gets so into it and she I like how she changes everything it's never like the exact same song yeah well and also like the like drumming on it like instead of like on here where it's like to be born and it's just like oh on the live version it's like to be born and then the drums cut in they're like it's so good i i love that version actually more than this album version but still a really good song yeah i like the i like her delivery in this song a lot especially how she like says passion without mercy like the way she says passion is just so funny to me but it's also so you know, she has a lot of like anger in this song almost, it feels like. Or maybe not, anger is not the best word. She's like very passionate about what's going on. I don't on. know. I could see it as anger. Yeah. I, I like think... that how the drums like just kind of like come in and they're so grand too. Oh my God, the travelogue version of this is insane. They have like gongs in it. It's like so like elaborate. There's like, oh, oh, like it's way crazier than this. Um, I like this song a lot. I think that like, the chords on this are very eerie. They have like a similar vibe to Passion Play where it's these like really like creepy chords that you hear and you're just like, ooh, like what's going on? And it's just like, yeah, Jenny's basically talking about like just like the devolution of man and how some revolution or change is coming sooner than later. And it's going to be in the shape of a lion. I don't know. <laughs> Head of a man, shape of a lion. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I like this song a lot too, but... I, I always put this in passion play together and I think that's because there's such heavy biblical references in both of them oh and yeah I do that too so for me I sometimes I get these songs confused especially because she says passion so much in both of those songs yeah like uh passion without mercy I think yeah this one yeah I really love that first verse too and she's like the worst are full of passion without mercy she's right she is right. She's still kind of a long song, though. This one is like six minutes. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know if it's actually, I think there's enough going on to make it six minutes. The other, uh, yeah, there's some songs in this album that could be cut in time a little bit. The next one for sure could be cut. <laughs> Definitely. Go into it. <laughs> Want to? Yeah. You can talk about this song. I'll let you do it. <laughs> you know, I like this song for what it is, but I, Coming from the cold is the song. <laughs> oh, coming yeah, coming from the cold. And um, the one part I don't like is how she's like talking about how they hold their rulers. Like, I didn't really need that part. It's a little cringy to me. And I also just don't love how this song is seven minutes long. Yeah. What about I feel your legs underneath the table leaning into mine? I feel renewed. I feel disabled. <laughs> what about that line? Bring up that lyric, please. Oh yeah, just one touch of a finger would make our circuits re-explode. 
why was this this was the lead single to this album right like this was the first released single yeah i don't understand why especially because well the radio edit of it is like three minutes so i guess it like works in that regard i think this song could have been three minutes long and we wouldn't have missed that much because once the song gets to three minutes i i kind of skip it anyways yeah i never listened to this song period so like i just find like i don't like the part where it's like come in come in like it's just like kind of like like there's not enough going on to where I'm like engaged for that long she doesn't do enough to change it up either like at least with like Hajir when the songs are so long there's like at least a lot going on or the yeah. something changes but this it's the one note the whole song like I can get into song for Sharon which is like eight or nine minutes long but that's because there's so much going on on Song for Sharon, just like in the lyrics that it like holds you. But these lyrics are kind of like. This song doesn't even feel like seven minutes. It feels like half an hour when I play the, when I play it for like the full length. I'm just like, when is this going to end? Well, I'm trying to think of what other song could they have done as a lead single? I feel like Night Ride Home would have been fine as lead single. I just think. What about Two Gray Rooms? That kind of would have been a cute single. That would have been a cute single. It would have been a really cute ballad. It wouldn't have charted at all, but you know. Nothing can be done. That's a very accessible song too. So I feel like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That could have been. Yeah, I don't know. This song is just not my favorite. I'm just not a big coming from the cold stand. Joni sings this. Fucking Brandy. Her and Brandy are always singing this song. You know what? This is probably Brandy's work. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it on Brandy for her including it in the set list. But like they do the full seven minute version, which is ridiculous because no one wants to sit through the full seven minutes. No. Yeah, I don't know. It's just not my not my favorite. It's not my favorite either. This is, I think this is, his, spoiler alert, this is probably my least favorite song on the record. You can't spoil like that, but yeah, mine, mine as well. <laughs> okay, Um. yeah, so not much to say about that, but I do, I have a lot to say about Nothing Can Be Done. I have to be honest. I really like this song a lot. I love this song too. I think it's such an accessible Joni song. Uh, I like, what was I going to say that I like about this? I like how it reminds me of Off Night Backstreet a little bit just because of the sentiment about like how it's like this lover that's kind of being strange towards her. Is that what you get about this song? That's what I thought it was about. Like, I feel like this song hits at her divorce. You don't get that from this? No, I've no. that is not what I've got from this song at all. Really? What do you get from it? I, I think of this song about the idea of like, it's like Joni is growing older and she is like aware that the more things change around her, the more she knows just based on her past experience that like nothing in life can be done. Like nothing with the world that's going on that's bad can be done. Nothing with love that's going bad can be done. Like she's just kind of like realizing that at this point in her life, you can't really make as much change as you want to. And it's like coming to terms with that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that because she talks about her age a lot. I don't know. Those first few lines just always make me think that, like, it's about, it's about Larry. She can't do anything about him. Well, it was written by Larry. Oh, that's true. And I like the rhythm a lot to this song. There's, like, a good beat to it. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Do, do you hear it? I do. I do. I this That's what I mean, where I feel like this could have been the lead single, because it's just so easy to listen to. And, and I like her voice on this, like, when she's, like, when she does, because like for like the first verse, she's like, nothing can be done, nothing can be done. But I like in the second 
like choruses and she goes into like the octave higher and she's like nothing can be done like she goes like the second yes who is the man that does the background vocals in this song because i feel like David barwald it adds so much to me i love i like the backing vocals a lot on this it sounds no his voice on this song sounds a lot like um oh my god what's his name on secret place who does secret place with her peter gabriel peter gabriel like it's like that similar vibe of like where the voices are close enough to where like they kind of cut in and out of each other and you can't tell who's singing at moments like they kind of blend so well and I think that they blend so well in this song like it's such a good kind of duet moment going on I guess yeah he, she uses them so subtly which is what I love about Joni features is that like whenever she includes someone in her song it's usually done so well and she doesn't make it like the entire point of the song the feature yeah 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 um yeah on chalk mark there were so many examples of that where like they would like cut in and out like yeah i really like that song i love the line of the song it's like must i surrender with grace the, th- the things i loved when i was younger sweet embrace i love that like like as you get older do you have to get rid of these like things that you used to love or believe in when you were younger like why is it that you have to like shift your values as you grow with time i don't know Joni probably feels that way because Joni's been like mature on the inside for like her whole Years. life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to her at least. Well, yeah, I guess I should say. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, how old was she when she wrote Blue? How old is she? She was born in 1943, so she was 28. I guess, yeah, that is a very mature age to be writing about that. Yeah, like it's very write. young to be writing that mature. Yeah, yeah. So she's an old soul, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but I just is. I just like this. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not old. I'm told, but I am not young and nothing can be done. It's like being at the, like, that like middle age where like, you're not too, you're not old enough to where you're wise, but you're not young enough to where you're naive. So what are you? You're just like in the middle. Yeah. They talk about that. I don't know. You're not into Broadway. I always am talking about Broadway things. Um, there's a musical called Company and there's a line that one of the characters, Joanne says, where she's like, I'm like at like the middle point in my life where I'm like, too old for the young people and too young for the old people and it's like you're like lost and I feel like that's kind of the same sentiment she's giving here yeah I also I feel like Joni has such like an interesting view on aging especially because I think at the beginning of her career she was very much like oh I'm never gonna do anything to like alter myself like I want to age very gracefully and I don't know she was a little hypocritical but I get it because like when you're aging obviously it's hard yeah. Well, I think about like song like like songs to aging children from Clouds. I know that's really pulling back to a rough moment. Um, <laughs> but like that song kind of just talks about like that like idea of like feelings of growing older and like kind of the complexities with it. By the way, guys, I haven't told you this. I actually am really liking Clouds. I think you told me that at one point and I was like, I'm not seeing your vision yet. I'm having I'm having a revelation. Do you like Teen Angel? Yes, I really I like Teen Angel. Angel now. I love Teen Angel. That's one of my. That's one of her most underrated like opening songs. I feel like it's not her best by any means, but well, yeah, no, I know. I love Teen Angel. I love um songs to aging children. I love that song. I don't know, like something about that album is and that and For the Roses. I am a huge For the Roses fan now. I've had I'm my so For happy. the Roses Awakening. It finally came back. I just like. I feel. I feel her in that album or the roses will always low-key be my favorite that and hissing are my two favorites really yeah we're such different people i guess we are but it's okay because we love joni because i'm a hygiera girly 
I love Hajira too. That's my top three. Oh, wait, I don't want to give out my rankings. That's those are those are I'm keeping those. Okay. Um <laughs> yeah, so um I don't think I have anything else to say about nothing can be done. Do you? No, I okay, don't. Okay, so now we can go on to a song that I know you don't like, but I actually think is really fun. The only joy in town. Girl, okay. I always get a little confused what she's talking about in the song. I don't know if it's just completely going over my head. I, I do like, she's talking about Botticelli or something. Isn't that a painter? Botticelli, black boy. I like, I'm so confused what she means by that. Botticelli is a painter. Yeah, but like, I thought it was cute because like, you know, she always references artists in her work. Like, you know, Van Gogh and like the later albums. Or well, it's about a real story. Is it? No, so it's about when she went to Rome and they were on the Spanish steps there and there was this like boy, there was this like, I guess he wasn't a boy, he's probably in his like early 20s, this man who had like a big flower in his hair and he was standing on the steps like flirting with all of these women and Joni was just like so allured by him that she wrote a song because she said he looked like kind of like a Botticelli-like figure because like Botticelli, yeah. he painted like the birth of Venus, um, like that sort of like those Greek mythological I guess that'd be, is that Greek or Roman? Venus? I don't know. Um, I think it's Roman. I believe it's Roman. Yeah. So like she sees like that. She's like, it's kind of like that idea. um, Oh, what is that song? If I were a painter, Picasso said, I'd paint this girl from Toadhead. It's like this idea of like, if you like having like a painter, like see like this vision, they would paint kind of, I don't know. Well, because I said this song is a lot like Yvette in English. Oh, I see that. I see that. I definitely see that. Um, it's like the happy I, version. It is the happy version. I want to say I do. I do enjoy this song. The one part I don't like is when she just like cuts in. And she's like Botticelli, black boy. Why? Like, that part is so fun. I but I do love how she's like she's like how the melody when she starts singing. He's the only joy in town. I really do love that. I love her delivery there. It's just well, the, there's the like whole- a weird chord. There's like a weird chord when she's like. He's the only joy in town. And then it's like, he's the only joy I found. It's like, Botticelli, black boy. <laughs> I couldn't find anything about this song online. That's why I was like so confused. You just, I'll actually, do you want to know how I found out about this yes. song? I actually flew to British Columbia over um, the past week and I stayed with Joni for a night and I got her input. You just stayed at her house in Saskatchewan or whatever it's called. No, it's in British Columbia. That's right. She lives in Vancouver, like right outside, right? Oh, yeah, I went there. I stayed with her and I, I said, what is that song, The Only Joy in Town, about? She told me, so. Did you see her Balinesian demons? I did see the Balinesian demons in the trees. I did, I did. Actually, there was this whole event going outside. And do you know what she whispered to me when we were sitting there? She said, you don't have the great scenes, do you? Because these are the great scenes. You don't have them. <laughs> You know what I wait, we're referencing the same thing, right? The same interview, yeah. yeah where okay. she's talking about Taylor Swift playing her in the biopic or whatever, and girls like us or something. She was like, These are the great scenes, and you don't have these. Nope. And I was like, Joni, no one wants to see that. That's like not what you would make a movie I don't, about. You don't have the broken banisters, you don't have the linen, you don't have this, and I'm like girls. Stop. You don't have the Balinesian demons. Um <laughs> so you but so you do like this song, but you just don't love it, I guess. I don't love it. It's not one that I like, I go out of my way to play, you know? I love playing this song guitar because a lot of these songs are in similar tunings and like of Night Ride Home. And this is a fun one to play because it has a fun rhythm to it. It's like, but it's like, 
Is this when her hands start getting bad? Is that why they're all in like similar tuning? Because like she can't play the guitar with her hands. I think it's just easier. Yeah, probably is easier. Have them well, because like Passion Play. Um, let me see. Passion Play, Night Ride Home, and Cherokee Louise are all in the same tuning. Um, the only Joy in Town is in the same tuning as something else. Like they're all kind of in a similar group. She ate that. Yeah, um, but this is when her hands, I think, do start having issues because of her polio. I know Taming the Tiger is when she can't even really use a real guitar anymore. No, yeah, that's when she had to get that weird one. Yeah. Which, by the way, do they sell those? Because I kind of want those. I don't know. So then I don't have to keep twisting my guitar heads to play Joni tunings. Like, it'd just be a lot easier for me. You have to go to Vancouver and steal it. I guess. I should have grabbed it when I was there. (laughs) Yes. I was too busy looking at the Balinese demons. Please. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to know what we're talking about. We are referencing like such a the niche most, interview. Yeah, the most obscure Joni interview. It's like an hour and a half long. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it's a, And that's with like the live audience. Yeah, and yeah. she has her drummer, Brian, there. Brian Blade. Yeah, she starts working with him actually in like two albums. Yeah. He joins her on like uh, Taming the Tiger, I think. Yeah, he's good. I like him. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good drummer. Um. Okay. So the final happy song on the album, there's only two more songs left. We have a very flirty song. This is a type of flirtation that I actually can get into. We have Ray's dad's Cadillac. I love this song. I am a big proponent of this song. It's so fun. I think this song is really fun too. It, it gives me like in France, they kiss on Main Street vibes kind of because of like the childhoodness. I think she's like referencing her childhood, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, she's like a teen. Yeah, and I think it's so cute. I love how flirty she is, too. She's, like, luring him in. Yeah, well, it's, like, basically the songs, like, we're counting, like, when Joni was younger, and she was, like, kind of, like, flirting with or, like, riding shotgun with this son of her math teacher, Ray's dad, who's the math teacher. And, like, she's basically, like, me and Ray have this, like, flirtation going on, but then when we get to school and I'm in his dad's class, like... I can't put the numbers in their place. Like I am not good at math. Zero, I'm a dunce. And I'm a decimal in his class. When it comes to mathematics, I got static in the attic. (laughs) That's so funny. I love that line. So do I. I feel like this is such a playful song. This, yeah, this is another reason why I think this is one of her like happier albums because of Ray's dad's Cadillac. Well, some of her line readings where she's like, no, sir, nothing's clear. (laughs) Or what about... Did you get the uh did you get the Harry's house callback on this one? No, I didn't. When she does like big planes coming overhead, and all of a sudden you were like, like 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 that they do at the beginning of Harry's house, you know, like there's like the plane landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plane landing and, and then like, cuts back in on, on this one, they do it too. I didn't even notice that. I need to listen with the AirPods next time. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, seriously. God, that's such a good part. Um no, I don't know. I really like this song. It's really fun. And like, it just has like a youth or like a vibrance to it. That's very enjoyable. I, I like how she says rock and roll so much in this song. That's why I think it reminds me of In Friends They Kiss on Main Street too. Yeah, yeah. And she's like really like, I don't know who the background singer is. I didn't get the female background singer on this, but there's someone else who's going like, ooh, little darling, rock and roll and in the dashboard. And this is one of the few female vocalists that works really well with Joni. I think Shaka Khan too. Well, well, yes, yes, you, you, yeah, Shaka Khan, her collaboration with her on Dreamland and the 10th world is so good. Um, 
Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't have too much to say about Ray's dad catalog though. It's kind of, it's not like too much going on. Um, so do you want to go to the closer of this album? One of my favorite Joni closers of all time. Yes. Two gray rooms. Ugh. This is so heartbreaking. And this is how she's a gay ally. Gay ally right here. Yeah. Gay ally. I like how, um, this song was actually written back in 1982, I believe. The um, music. Yeah. The music. And it was originally going to be titled speechless. Um, and she didn't put lyrics to the song until I think like 1990 or something. I don't know if I'm getting the date correct. Yeah, yeah, like 89. And it's inspired by a uh, Max Weissenbinder, a German silent film era cinematographer. And he was like left brokenhearted by his gay lover. And so he decides to buy an apartment in two gray rooms where he can see his former lover walking to work every day. And I think it is such a sad song. It reminds me of Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. I don't know if anyone's read that, but that is mo the most iconic gay novel to me. I've never read that. Is it good? It's so good. It's so, so, so sad. It takes place in like France. Ooh, maybe I need to read that. I would like that. I love a good gay, sad love story. I'm a huge Call Me By Your Name fan, of course. Yes, I love Call Me By Your Name too. That book is so good. I, I mean, I like the movie a lot too, but that book is really good. Um, No, yeah, like this song is so fucking, like, I feel like if you read it in the wrong lens, you could be like, oh, it's creepy. Like this like guy has like bought an apartment like just to watch this guy go to work every day. But like, it goes to show how heartbroken he is over this like other man. Like he's so distraught that he like, just to see him, in these two gray rooms is like enough for him. And it's just, oh, it's so good. And I love that it's just piano and Joni's voice. Like it sounds beautiful. Those, the piano in the song is fucking heartbreaking. And oh my gosh, when she's, when she's singing about how he feels on the weekends when he can't see him because he doesn't have work those days and how they go so long. It's just so sad. And I feel like it really helps people. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were homophobic in the 90s. A lot of people are still homophobic now. But I feel like a song like this would help people empathize with gays a lot because- it's a really heartbreaking experience. And what about like, no one knows I'm here. One day I just disappeared. Like the way she reads that line is so sad. It's like, one day I just disappeared. It's, oh, I love the piano on this song so much. It adds so, it adds just so much to the words. Like, and it's not a long song. I wish it was kind of longer, honestly. Me too. I think this is one of her best though. And oh my gosh, like just how, sad this is she like she's saying that this guy has loved him for 30 years like he knows that it's never really gonna work out with them and it's just so sad well then on the final below my window like she's like below my window and then she's like below my window Ooh. like she, she had was, her diva moment she did she was having like a like Ooh, like <laughs> i don't know i just oh i love it so much and yeah like that you look so youthful time has been untruthful like ugh. so good it's just such a beautiful song. I don't, I don't think we give this enough. This doesn't get enough love in Joni's catalog, and I don't know why. Well, it's in her later work, so that's why. Well, yeah, that's true. But I feel like this is like an essential Joni song. Oh yeah, if you want to go into her like piano ballads, like if you're like, what are Joni's like most heartbreaking piano ballads? This is definitely on that list for sure. Like this is like, it has a similar like depression and sadness that like you hear on like blue like like that actual song yes. like it's like that like super longingly sad feeling 
I love how this is like a character study too. Joni and her character studies. She's always just like with Scarlett O'Hara back in the day. Oh my and now God, she's you, like, love, you love that Scarlett O'Hara reference. I really do. You know that I, I did end up watching Gone with the Wind? This really? Summer. Yeah. How was it? Kind of, yeah. I'm not even going to ask. Yeah. The costumes were pretty. Costumes were pretty. I had a high budget. <laughs> yeah, clearly there was a lot of money that went into it. And yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was just, no, it's because we had just done like the hissing episode and I was like, you know what I need to watch? <laughs> I was like, I need to like, just see what that's all about. But yes. Um, yeah, I just love Two Great Rooms so much. And I think it's cute that it was like a, that it was taken from Wild Things. Like it's like kind of like a little thing. That's crazy that it, like she just wrote, there's a few songs on this album where she like took like older compositions and then brought them to this well, album. A Bird That Whistles was recorded during Wild Things and then she put it on Chalkmark. That's going to be so interesting to hear her archives from like Wild Things and these songs when they were originally forming. So there's going to be six archives in total, right? Yeah, five well, or six. So I think that the next, so we have the one coming out soon. That, oh my God, wait, when's it coming out? Like early October? Yeah, I want to say it's like around October 13th-ish. I'm oh probably God, so exciting. Um, so yeah, we have that. So then I'm thinking the next one will be what? Like Hygiera, Don Juan's, Mangus, Shadows, and Light. Yeah. Then the 80s albums. And then is the final one just going to be like 90s and maybe like some Shine stuff as well? I hope you don't get a Shine archive. No, they wouldn't just do one just for Shine. I don't think they would. Yeah. But no, that's you- three. That's three. Yeah. Cause like there's like Hygiera Don Juan's 80s and the 90s. Cause there's not really anything in the 2000s. I mean, maybe they have like travelogue outtakes. I would love to hear like anything like travelogue that they like didn't end up putting on the album that they recorded. I feel like I read somewhere where they said they don't have that much like to go off of for her like 80s and 90s archives. Like there's not that much there. Or maybe it was just the 90s that they said that about. No, I think I read it was with like the 80s and stuff too. Yeah. So that's scary, but. I know what I, I mean, I know what I want to see in the 80s ones. I want to see all the like demo acoustic versions of like these like hard synth songs because they're all there. Like, they are. like I've heard the, the like demo versions of um, like Impossible Dreamer or of um, Good Friends. Like they're all there. And I would love to hear like the demo of A Bird That Whistles or the demo of Two Great Rooms. Like those are all things I'd love to hear. I don't know. Right. It's going to be so interesting to see that. Especially. Yeah, right. Oh, also, I just want to say one last thing about this song. I feel like she gets so much across with such like little description. Yes. 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 I feel like she lets the composition of the song kind of let the, the listener feel what's going on instead of having to describe too much. No, I agree. Like you kind of make your own feelings from it yeah yeah I agree yeah oh my gosh well that is those are all the songs tonight right now wow we kind of breeze through that um what would you rate this album I would give it a nine out of ten I also would give it a nine out of ten our minds our minds it's telepathy yes um my favorite song in this album I have two it's either two gray rooms or passion play when all the slaves are free Okay, I have to agree with you there because my two favorite are Passion Play and Two Great Rooms as well. Oh my God. And then both of our least favorites are Coming From the Cold. Coming From the Cold. Wow, I wonder if that's like a universal feeling. Like, I wonder if everyone else agrees. I wouldn't be surprised. 
Coming from the cold is too long. I did see some YouTubers say that that was one of her their like favorite Joni songs and how it made him cry like when he was walking. Just like I'm never gonna cry over this song, but okay. I would cry over two gray rooms, but I would never cry over coming from the cold. No. Yeah, definitely not. Not an option. Yeah, but um, yes, that was all of Night Ride Home. It was so fun to have you on this episode. I'm so glad that like we got to talk about this album. This is like, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I always remember you used to always talk about this album, like when we were first starting. So yes, this is one of my favorite Joni albums. Like I think in terms of her later work, this is probably I like the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I think this is my favorite out of all of them. Oh, mine's mine's the next album. <gasps> Turbulent Indigo. Well, I see why. And Turbulent Indigo is like a very close second for me. The yeah. 90s albums are just so good. They're so good. I don't, well, okay. Yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> I'll say those. Get, you'll get yeah. to that one. Yeah, but um, yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Thank you so much for joining me, Tommy. I really appreciate it. Of course. Have you on here. Um, But yeah, I guess we will be moving to Turbulent Intego upcoming. I'm so excited to talk about that album. It's going to be depressing because that's another angry album. It is a very angry album. A new angry era, but this is a very peaceful way to start the era. So uh, yeah, Um, do you have anything else you want to say? I just love this Joni album a lot. Yeah. I think if you haven't listened, you need to go listen to it. I say that at the end of every episode, starting like at Don Juan's, I'm like, give it a re-listen, fuckers. It's good. Give all of Joni's later albums a re-listen because they're worthwhile. And the older you get, the more you like them. Oh, are we old? Are we haggard now? I'm I'm getting to hag era, sadly. You kind of are. You're kind of like near twink death time. I know. It's so it's so unfortunate. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I don't have. To- is there is there anything else after being a twink? Is is there still life after that? I thought life ends there. It's not. They're just gonna preserve me in amber. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.